This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Today on the College Football Daily, we are dropping our Clay Helton episode early for you tonight. It's currently Monday, September 13th as I sit here and just wrapped recording with Greg Biggins. This is actually, though, the episode for Tuesday, September 14th. It's full of the Clay Helton firing reaction. Dante Williams will be the interim head coach. We've got quarterback updates at Boston College, at Texas A&M, and at Texas. And even stay tuned after my conversation with Greg Biggins. We're going to jump over to a very short conversation with Brian Peroni of Gigum 24-7 about how this Haynes King injury and Zach Calzada uh, stepping up as, in the role of starting quarterback really hurts, or impacts at least, Texas A&M's chances against Alabama in a few weeks and then the SEC West at large. But anyway, Clay Helton is gone. He's, he's no longer going to be USC's head coach. Two touchdown losses to Stanford on Saturday ensured that the writing was on the wall maybe it's been on the wall for a few years now the trojans pulled the plug on monday night let's see what happens anyway here's greg biggins okay greg biggins joins us right now greg appreciate you doing this uh with us in a in a pinch so this news felt like a long time coming i would just be curious to get your reaction as someone who's follows the program rather closely and, and seems to be the go-to guy for USC Trojans happenings. I think we all saw the Clay Helton stuff coming the last few days and maybe even since 2018. Do you think that this was an overdue move considering the the recruiting momentum and all that? You know, that's always hard to say. I'm, I'm the guy who wants to feel like I'm, what's the term, like dancing on someone's grave. So right. I, I don't want to say it's long overdue and he shouldn't have been, shouldn't have, you know, should have been fired years ago. I, I'll just say this. There was always so much speculation. And one thing I've always said from, you know, someone taught me this when I first started in this business, that a rumored coaching change is always worse than the coaching change itself in terms of just recruiting and, and parents worrying about their kids. And there's been literally speculation and, and Clay's been on the hot seat for what, three years now, four years now, and it was never going to go away, right? Even if they win 10 games this year, the next year, if they lose one or two, it's going to be okay, Clay, you got to get rid of Clay. Like it was going to be so hard for him to ever kind of get off that proverbial hot seat. So it, it's, I'm not going to say it was long overdue, but I'll, I'll just say, I think a lot of people definitely wanted this to happen sooner than later. And timing wise, I, I think it probably does, you know, make some sense. If you feel he's not the guy moving forward, you know, don't allow him to bust out eight, nine wins in a row, which obviously USC has the talent to do. Now, all of a sudden, how do you fire a guy when they're eight and one? Right. So if you know that he's not the guy, you know, make the move sooner than later. And I guess that's what they also felt. I was going to say USC recruits itself, which I think is something that you're going to hear a lot this week, but they did go you know, in in the 2020 class, Greg, as you know, they had the number 64 recruiting class, only 12 commits, but it, it wasn't good. And you, you wrote that back then. When you look at the list of candidates, and I saw Dennis Dodd tweeted that the job is Luke Fickles to turn down, but you've got Fickle, mm. you've got James Franklin at Penn State, you've got Chris Peterson, maybe you take him out of retirement, he's doing television work. You know, the Urban Meyer jokes are 
or too irresistible. <laughs> is there somebody who you think would just be a home run here? Maybe Dante Williams. You and I have talked about that as as the interim coach makes an impression, although that feels like it's impossible because they, you know, USC Clay Helton was the interim coach. But is there someone who you think would be uh, the top choice in, in your opinion? I think Luke Fickle will be a home run. I think I think it's a, he's a great football coach. I think keeping Dante Williams on board in some capacity will be huge. Make him your you know recruiting coordinator, which he already is, and let let him do his thing. Let him be the assistant head coach. Although you know a new head coach might come in, and I don't want to say feel threatened, but you know a lot of players. Again, this is we're all speaking hypothetically because what if you know what if USC goes on this run? I, I know Dante wants to be a head coach someday. I, I know that for a fact. We've had that conversation, so I know this is this is probably his dream job. But again, you're going to have boosters and alums say, "Hey, we can't go the route of hiring a guy who has zero head coaching experience." So for me, who is a guy with with head coaching experience who's just a great football coach? Recruiting will always take care of itself if you put the effort in and that's why i think it means by usc recruits itself you still have to put the effort in but you you start off in pole position for every socal kid you start off in first place and then if you don't recruit the kid or if you're losing or not doing well then maybe you slide to second third fourth but for every top socal freshman sophomore you're in first place as of today so that's what they mean by recruits itself urban meyer i've always been a fan i don't see that happening chris peterson i think is a great football coach is he a, a dyna- dynamic la guy will he fit in i don't know I mean, you could probably find you know little things to you know to peck away at anyone but again if you're talking about just a really good football coach who knows what he's doing man it's tough to find someone with a better resume over the last few years than than fickle that's interesting that you point out they're always going to be in first place in pole position early on in that player's recruitment I, I i don't think luke fickle has any west coast recruiting experience so that's maybe the perfect marriage you get a great football coach which is clearly what they need and you get somebody he's going to put the effort in on recruiting uh, Cincinnati does a great job at that you've been working the phones I know you you did a few stories on Damani Jackson the five-star cornerback commit who's committed to USC what do you think is going to happen with with the players who currently make up USC's 2022 commitments uh, uh, class do you think they're all going to stay aboard and see what happens and then what do you think the uncommitted kids who are interested in USC do as well yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's USC or if it's Elbow State AM. You always get the same reaction from every kid. It's, yes, I'm still committed. I want to see who the new head coach is going to be. Um, still open to other schools. That's always the the hard, fast, quick reaction. Damati Jackson talked to him for a little bit. A funny thing, I was trying to talk to him yesterday uh, from his Michigan visit, but his phone died as he was getting on the phone. And so today it was kind of a kill two birds. And he said exactly that. Still 100% committed to USC. Love Dante. Not sure he'll be the guy. But he said, whoever they bring in, he knows, this is him quoting, I know it's going to be a, a big time hire. They're not going to go hire someone who's not going to be good. It's, it's, they're going to bring in a, a big name guy who's going to be a great head coach. So I still feel really good about USC. Moving forward, he, he still likes Michigan, had a great visit, and he's going to visit Alabama in November. So, you know, those are his three schools. He said his phone's blowing up, but those are, he's going to focus on just those three schools. And, you know, if he likes the hire, which, you know, I think a lot of people assume you know, they will make a good hire. Then I think Damani still looks like he's pretty solid. If he doesn't like the hire, then I, I think Michigan and Alabama have a chance. I think that goes for a lot of those, a lot of the players. Maybe some of the guys in, in the South, obviously USC was hitting Georgia extremely hard. And those guys, even though they have, you know, uh, some guys committed, I think it was always going to be hard end of the day to keep those guys committed or interested, not interested. They'll, they'll keep them interested, but you know, once it kind of gets down to that 12th hour and all of a sudden, here comes Georgia, here comes Bama, here comes LSU, Clemson, and those guys start going full court press. It's hard a lot of, to keep those Southern kids home, keep them 
away from home, I should say. So I think those guys, but the, the local kids, I think will still be very receptive to USC. Again, they committed to USC for more than just clay. And that's not a shot at clay. It's just, they committed to USC because it was, it was USC and they liked the assistant coaches. And so, you know, let's just, just for the fun of it, say it is a, a Chris Peterson, a Luke Fickle, a, a whoever, right. Uh, Trey Scott. I, I think the key is not, you mentioned, you know, these guys don't may, may not have West coast ties. And that's why I think the staff he puts together is going to be big. How many guys does he, does he hold over? How many, you know, recruiting staff people does he keep? I mean, USC has really built up, you know, the recruiting staff just over the last year, year and a half, um, Marshall Sherrington, Mondo Hawkins, Michael Hutchins. And these are guys they've hired in the last couple of years who have done a phenomenal job doing a lot of the legwork. And so, you know, if you can keep those guys, maybe you keep a couple staff holdovers. I, I think Dante Williams would be, would be huge. You know, Vic Soto, the D-line coach has been really, really good. Um, Vianney Talamai-Vau, he's an offensive assistant. He might be a guy you look at as an offensive line coach moving forward. Extremely tight uh, with the Polynesian community and extremely tight West Coast wise, regardless if you're Polynesian or not, um, Big V. So uh, there's a lot of guys on staff that I think you might look at keeping and even guys on that support staff that I think have done a great job. So uh, I'm fascinated, not so much, not, not just by the head coaching hire, but moving forward, what assistance does he keep and, and what support staff does he keep? Good point. I forgot to mention Mario Cristobal as a candidate, although I don't think he would actually do that. I think you know Super Mario is just going to get a well-deserved raise out of this from Oregon. But my last question does pertain to Oregon and the Pac-12 in general. Greg, given what you know about the USC roster and you know Jackson Dart's probably going to be the guy once Keaton Slovis moves on, and I'd, I'd like to see a little bit of Dart this fall anyway, they're a natural transfer portal destination because of the NIL and just the glamour of SC. How close is this roster? If you put in a, a good new coach, how far away are they from, from winning the Pac-12 and, and finally making a playoff push? USC, how close is this roster once it gets poached by the portal? Or how close? Is, I mean, you said that, not me. I mean, that always ha does happen, right? It, again, they could bring in the, the, the best head coach, but you're always going to have a few guys who you know just want a fresh start. Now, I have no idea who those guys are. And, and one thing... It pains me to say it. I've said it every time we've talked and, I, and anytime I've done any interviews and I even kind of like, you know, scoffed at Urban Meyer saying, you know, a year ago when, oh, you, you can win a national title at USC by by not leaving 10 miles of your school. The, the difference in linemen in Southern California and at USC currently versus what you see at Alabama, at Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State, all, all those schools in the SEC that are powers, it is striking. And Oregon... Cristobal has done a phenomenal job going outside the region and recruiting linemen. So for me, if we want to see USC back to, you know, a top four playoff team, they're always going to have a quarterback. They're always going to get the receivers. They're always going to have really good skill guys. But if you want to see USC really back to those Pete Carroll days, they got to somehow find a way to recruit uh, along the defensive line, especially D tackle and then offensive line. They got to do uh, a much better job bringing in just elite strength and toughness. And that's just right now, that's the biggest thing that I, that I see, you know, Stanford, you know, I didn't see all of the game. I was watching a little Joe Rogan concert out at the great Western forum Trey. but you know, just driving home and getting reaction. They said Stanford was kind of the more tougher physical team up front. And, and, you know, if you're USC, if you want to be dominant in a playoff team, you got to address that and you got to be able to recruit nationally, which they can. So Right now, how the team is presently constructed, I don't think they're ready to compete against the Bamas of the world because of, of because of up front. But once they, you know, kind of get that situated, O line, D line, D tackle depth, you know, recruit some big, fast linebackers like they used to used to in the you know the Ray Malaugu, Brian Cushing mm, yeah. days, Clay Matthews days. Then I think we're ready to go. 
Yeah, no, d- just to be clear, I don't think they're going to get rated. I think they could do the rating just just based on who they are. And and also to your point, Greg, I've last few preseasons, I've fallen into that trap of, hey, they got a quarterback, they got some receivers, I'll pick them to win the Pac-12, and it just does not usually work like that. Greg Biggins, we appreciate you joining us. We'll let you, let you go and hit the phones. Awesome, Trey. Always good talking to you, man. Appreciate Greg joining me. He's going to be a busy man for the next few days, tracking down those USC commits and USC targets. Anyway, Texas A&M, SEC West hopes might be swirling the drain with Haynes King injury. Let's hear from Brian Peroni. Okay, Brian Peroni, as promised, Brian, I just wanted to get you on real fast to talk about Zach Calzada and and what you think he can build on after what I would deem a uh, rough showing uh, against Colorado, but he uh, he redeemed himself with a, with a nice touchdown pass to win the game. I think it really depends on which Calzada you see. The one from the first three quarters was nervous, overthrew a bunch of guys, just rifled the ball. In the fourth quarter, he actually had two scoring drives. One, he dove in and fumbled right before the goal line, and the other, he threw a touchdown pass. So uh, if they're able to get that Zach Calzada, then A&M you know, still has a chance in, in all these games down the road. Yeah, so the the mid October timeline that Jimbo gave for Haynes King, let's let's just go down the list. We've got Texas A, or we, we've got New Mexico. Um, that's a win, and then Arkansas, Jerry World, Mississippi State, Alabama on October nineteenth or on October 9th, and then Missouri on October sixteenth. Maybe Haynes King comes back for that. I I think that the headliner though, Brian, is like the I'm a little bit deflated right now about the Alabama Texas A and M game that I thought was legitimately going to be nearly 50-50 because it's in College Station. Oh, no, for sure. I mean, AM was always going to have an unproven quarterback, but Haynes King has shown a little more than Calzada to this point. Although King did have three interceptions the first week, so, you know, you never really knew what he was bringing to the table. I'm curious what Calzada does this week against New Mexico. Should be a relatively easy win, so, you know, maybe it does something for his confidence, but that in the Arkansas game will be telling. But, yeah, right now, the prospects against Alabama are definitely tough. Appreciate Brian Peroni jumping on real quick, talking to me about Haynes King and Zach Calzada. Also appreciate Greg Biggins doing this in a pinch and our producer Lance Glenn, who probably worked late Monday night putting this episode together. Have a great day. We'll talk to you on Wednesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.